before we go forward, we've got scripture reading and Owen Hart is reading for us today. So if can, Owen can come forward and we can stand for the reading of scripture and then we'll sit um, afterwards. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and he is brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. To beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, but that on my account, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you, that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, my brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true, which never changes. I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to us today. As we have spoken to you in our worship and in our prayer, I pray, Lord, that this time would be a time of us hearing from you, speaker and hearer alike, that your word would change us and guide us and lead us. May your word be bread to our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so last week we went up to verse 7 of the book of, I want to see if you remember, the book of Oh, uh, yeah, there are some people who are saying it wrong still. The book of? 
I, those of you who were not here last week, I did say that I call, I call the book Philemon, and you guys call it Philemon, and so I stick with Philemon. So as I speak today as well, I'll stick with Philemon, because that's what I call the book that we are working on. Um, let me put this on. There we go. So we are still going on on the pathway to reconciliation, and we are looking at verse 8 through 25. I know last, last week's sermon was just on the first seven verses, and it took us um, a full sermon time to work through it, and I hope that we can work through this as quick as possible too. And um, not making any promises this week. Um, made promises last week, um, just like Elizabeth Taylor would say to, his, to her husbands, I won't keep you long, but I, I made that promise and I didn't keep you long. So I hope that today I will try and not keep you long. I'm not making any promise. It's a longer portion of scripture that we're looking at. All right, so we see, uh, we meet here Philemon and we introduced the book last week and we spoke about who Philemon was. Onesimus was a slave who had run away from um, his master, and um, there's a lot of questions and stories, and I'd like to share a little bit of that with you about why this book is in Scripture. Uh, some people believe this was a personal book. How did it end up here? Um, it doesn't fit in the pastoral letters, which is uh, Timothy and Titus. It doesn't fit there. How did it end up here? Um, there, there's so many theories around it, and one of my favorite ones um, you can read for yourselves in history and find out what the theories are, but one of my favorite ones is that there was a bishop uh, in Ephesus called Onesimus. And this bishop um, of Ephesus is believed by other scholars to have been the same Onesimus who had been released. And then later in uh, AD 110 became a bishop in um, in Ephesus. And then as well, remembering that all Paul's letters were started to be gathered together in Ephesus, where this bishop was, and his name was Onesimus. And so it's interesting to just think about that and see what, what things would come out of it. Um, and um, history tells us that most of all of, book, of the books that Paul wrote was put together in the city of Ephesus and then presented then um, at the council in AD 110. All right, so coming out of that, we see here Paul writing to Philemon, and we spoke about this last week, that Paul did not write Philemon so to, of, to just overthrow, simply say that he wants to overthrow the system of slavery. But at face value, it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like Paul is saying, he doesn't say that I want to overthrow this whole system, no. But yet the principles that he puts in this letter destroy that institution. He didn't clearly say that I want slavery gone, slavery is not of God or whatever. He didn't clearly say that. But the, the, the way that he put the, the principles that he laid down in the book of Philemon are principles that destroy Slavery. There are principles that work in the heart first and then come into action. And for us to have greatest change in our society and in the things that, things that are happening around us, yes, uh, political activism and all these things that we do, it's okay, but it doesn't really matter if the heart is not changed. When the heart is changed, the life is changed. 
And I want to encourage us that as we go, as we do whatever we do to uh, face injustice or whatever, it is the heart that needs changing. The disregard in our society, the issues in our society, the issue of racism in our society, the issue of uh, disregard of life of the unborn in our society will not change unless hearts are changed. When hearts are changed, then we'll see a change in that. Laws can be put. That's why people are in prison, even when there's laws. It's the heart change that makes the difference. And so Paul puts it here to Philemon that there are some things that need to change, and all these things that he's speaking about are things of the heart. So he starts in verse 8, going on, what he says, Therefore, Though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, being such as one as Paul urged, also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and me. And Paul decides, this is wisdom here, Paul is a wise man, he's a wise leader. He knows that he has got the right to command. He has the right to tell him what to do. He's an apostle. And again, goes for him, he's an older man. Say the other time when I was preaching here that elders, the older people usually have, can say whatever they want usually and get away with it. Paul is this older man who is an apostle and he can easily say to Philemon, well, this is it you're going to release this man, I command you, as an apostle. But he doesn't. He uses wisdom, and he appeals to him. And in our talks with people, in our walk with people, we need to find wisdom in whether is it a place for us to command certain things or is it a place for us to appeal over certain things. It is very important to know not only to know, but to apply that knowledge. That's wisdom. Knowledge is knowing when to do it, but wisdom is applying that knowledge into action. And there it is. Paul knew here that he's going to rather appeal to him. He could have demanded it. In 1 Corinthians 5, he speaks of that he, he, he's an apostle. He's got that authority. He could have said, well, all right, this is it. This is what is going to happen here. This is how we're going to run this. But he chooses to use a loving appeal rather to his brother. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have been gotten in chains. He calls Onesimus his son. And if you read in Galatians, if you read in, Col in Corinthians and in Titus and in Timothy, Paul speaks to, speaks to the people that, that were led to the Lord through him as his children. That's affectionate. He sees himself as a father to them. A father nurtures, a father walks with, a father corrects, a father loves. And I want to ask you a question before we move further. Is there somebody that you are fathering in your walk with Jesus? Is there somebody that you're discipling? Paul says, he's my son, who might be gotten while I was in chains. While he was in prison, he was still discipling. While he was in chains, he was still fathering children in the Lord. 
How are we doing in discipling others around us? How am I doing in discipling those around me? That's the question that came to heart at that time. And then he goes on, he says, This Onesimus who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to both of us. The most interesting thing here is that the name Onesimus means profitable. That's the name, meaning of his name. And Paul uses that play of words and says he was unprofitable when he ran away. But he has now become profitable both to you and to me. This is the miracle of what God does in our lives. Amen. He takes the unprofitable things like me, like me, Sims, and makes them profitable. He takes the unprofitable things like you and makes them prof profitable. God changes things in our lives. When we encounter Jesus, there is a change. And that change makes us to be profitable. In all, Onesimus had been unprofitable to his master when he ran away. But when he comes back, he's double profitable. And I want to encourage us that we realize that God takes the evil and tends it for his good. Romans 8.28 tells us, For we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we are. And so we realize that God has a plan and he can take things that seem to be dead and make them into something else. The Bible speaks about this, this concept a lot. When you think about it, it speaks about he turned our mourning into dancing again and lifted our sorrow. And then it comes again and he speaks of that. He turned ashes into beauty. God is in the business of turning things around. When we submit to him, when we submit our lives to him, he, he is willing and he is able to turn things around. And he turns these unprofitable things to make them profitable. He turned the unprofitable me and made me profitable. Now Onemus is a Christian, so that means that his life as a Christian now, he's going to live up even more to his name because God has made him to be profitable. Sometimes when you think about this, you look at testimonies of people where God took them from and you watch the change that has occurred and what God has done in their lives, you'll be amazed. So I encourage you to take time and speak to one another. When you get time with, with, with your, your, family, your, your church family, speak to them about where God has taken them from. You, you'll be amazed at the change. You'll be amazed at the move from being unprofitable to being profitable for the kingdom. And that all happens because we have given our lives fully to Jesus. Onesimus had given his life to Jesus and things had become new again in his life. And then Paul writes back and he says, I'm sending him back to you, therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Receive him as my own heart. Paul is showing mercy here 
Paul is saying, be merciful to him. Don't punish him as it was regarded by society. A runaway slave could be punished. We learned that last week. But he says, receive him as you receive my own heart. He says, I know what he has done against you. I understand that. But I'm asking you to be merciful to him. This is, this is as well something else when you think about it. Last week we spoke a, lo- a little bit about the fact that Philemon was known for refreshing the hearts of believers. We, we, we heard that in the first few verses that we read. And so Paul is saying now that if you are going to, to do that, to be a refreshing person, refresh me also now by refreshing my heart, which is Onesimus. Refresh this brother who is coming in and had ran away. This is counter-revolutionary. This is crazy. This is, this is like, it, it doesn't make sense. And I said this last week and I'll say it again. It doesn't make sense. The slave has run away. Now he has come back. And this master is expected to have a party for this slave. <laughs> and refresh him. And count him as a brother. It's not head of. That's the change of the heart that Paul is driving to. This week, um, I was speak, speaking to my, uh, to my brother Ben, and he, he, he alluded to the whole idea, which I had not, not even thought about. The fact that when you look at the story, so much of the story of the prodigal son comes to action. He comes back home. The father accepts him. His father's heart is open. And Paul is asking here that Philemon's heart will be open just like the father of the prodigal and receive him back and refresh him. But one thing that is important here is Paul says to to him, I am sending him back. That's very important to me because then Paul realizes, yes, what he has done is wrong because he ran away, he stole and all those things that could have happened. Paul realizes the wrong that has been done. And Paul, realizing that wrong, he, re, he, he knows that there is a need to make things right. There is a need to make things right. When we do something wrong, we must do our best to set it right. Even when restitution is very difficult, we are called to make things right. Sometimes as Christians, we do things and we say things to people and we realize later that it was wrong and we sneak away as if nothing happened. We need to be able to stand and say, I made a mess. Forgive me, my brother. Or forgive me, my sister. I made a mess. I need to make it right. Paul is willing to even get to a point where he says, if he has taken anything, if you have lost anything on him, pay it on my account. He's willing to go that far to make things right. How willing are we to make things right when we've made a mess? Are we those that sneak out and pretend nothing happened? Are we those that say, oh, well, you know what, it, it, was, that, it was then, uh, you know, I'll find a way out of it. Do we talk ourselves out of it? God is calling us to a ministry of reconciliation. That means we go back and make things right. 
Paul makes things right and he takes, you know, uh, he, he persuades him to go back to his master. But then he says, I would have kept him. He talks about the fact that he would have kept him. But he says, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might be not by compulsion, but voluntary. Paul explains that he did not want to force him to force this on Philemon because he, he, he had been profitable now. So Onesimus has been profitable to Paul and also to Philemon. And Paul says, he has helped me on your behalf. He speaks about this a lot. And then it feels like he's, he's saying, it would have been nice for him to stay with me. When we read towards the end, we'll see that too. He says it would have been nice for him to stay with me, but I don't want to take it by force and not ask you. When it comes to doing the good works that God has called us to do, we need to be at a place where we do them, not out of compulsion, but because we love Jesus. We don't need Pastor Ryder or myself forcing people to do things or the elders forcing people to, to be involved in a certain way or Shane begging and forcing people to be involved in the youth or Jenna in kids' church, whatever. What we do, we do it because we love God, not out of compulsion. And the moment we find ourselves doing certain things because of compulsion, there is a problem. We need to stop and consider again. Ask the Lord again. If you're finding yourselves, finding yourself in a place where you are doing these good things that you're doing out of compulsion, stop. Ask the Lord, where do I need to go here? Because that's not the right place to be at. And Paul says, makes it clear here, he says, I want this to be voluntary. I want this to be done because you want to do it. It makes it very unpleasant when things are done out of compulsion. And Paul says, I don't want you to lose out on the joy of doing what you're called to do because you're not doing it out of compulsion. Paul is not just asking for a favor here. He's not even asking for a favor, I should say. He's asking him to do the right thing, not out of compulsion, but out of being voluntarily realizing what God has done for him and he's willing to do that. God is at work here in the situation with Philemon and Onesimus. And when God is at work in those situations, both people are important to him. Both people are important to him. The offender and the offended are important to God. And so God as well, because these people are important to him, he as well gives them choices. He doesn't force it. He doesn't force his grace on us. He gives us a choice. And so there's a choice here that Philemon had to make. He had to decide whether I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. It's said that we don't have a written record to show us what happened after this. Really would love to know what happened. But we don't have that written record. But the whole thing he's realizing that there is freedom in Christ to choose to do the right thing. And not just to do the right thing, but he goes on and says, I know you do more than what I've asked you to do because of your love for Christ. Let me not go get ahead of myself. 
Then he goes on, and in verse 15 through 16, he speaks about that he might have departed from you perhaps for a purpose. Paul sees God's purposes even in this situation that is very sorry. Paul sees God's purposes that can be fulfilled. Do we see God's purposes in the situations that are around us? With the people that we are struggling with? With the people that we might be in conflict with? With people that might have stolen from us? With people that might have cheated us? Do we somewhere somehow see the purposes of God and pinpoint that and rejoice in that? And then he says as well, he doesn't just say, this is the purpose of God. He says, perhaps, which is a good word, because he doesn't say, this is what the Lord told me, it's a purpose. No, he says, perhaps. He's not sure too, but he says, perhaps there is a purpose here. Perhaps God has a purpose with what you're facing. Perhaps God has a purpose with what I'm facing. If I were to stop and listen, I might find that purpose. You might find that purpose. And then he goes on and says, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, more than a slave, but as a brother. Paul goes on here and he says, well, he reintroduces this young man Again, and when he introduces him, he's not just a slave, but as a brother. And this is where Paul destroys this concept of slavery without saying that I want the laws of slavery destroyed. He says, receive him, not just a slave, more than a slave, but a beloved brother. This is strange. Because think about it, if a man is a stranger, I can make him a slave. But if a man is my brother, there is no way I can make him a slave and sleep at night. Paul is saying to him, he's your brother now, your relationship changes. So he destroys the idea that goes with slavery. He speaks of it and when he speaks of it, he speaks of the transformation of the individual's heart because he's saying to, to Philemon, he is your brother. Now that changes the heart. The heart to a brother and the heart to a stranger. This is different. So that heart transformation is the key to, trans- is the key to the transformation of our society and is the key to changing our moral environment. The heart is what Paul speaks about. I love Spurgeon. You know that by now. And Spurgeon says something that I'm going to quote to you when he's speaking of this passage. He says, but mark this word. The true reforming of a drunkard lies in the giving him a new heart. The true reclaiming of a harlot is to be found in the renewed nature. I see Certain of my brethren are fiddling away at the branches of the tree of vice with their wooden saws. But as for the gospel, it lays an axe at the root of the whole forest of evil. 
And if it fairly received into the heart, it fells all the bad trees at once. And instead of them, there is a spring fir tree, the pine tree, and the box tree together to beautify the house of our master's glory. Sometimes we spend a lot of time dealing with the branches and the leaves, and we forget the root. It's temporal. Cutting the branches and the leaves is temporal. When you uproot it, then it's gone. And the root is in the heart. The root of all these issues that we face as a society, all our moral issues, is in the heart. It starts in the heart. Get a heart change, get a people changed. It's not about what we say. It's not about the laws that we put down. It's not about who's, who's in Congress, who's in, in the White House. It is about the hearts of the people. There's a song we sing back home that says, Africa back to God. And I've been finding myself singing it a lot, America back to God. In the heart. When that happens in the heart, things will start to happen. We are so busy with the branches of the tree and forgetting that even if we cut the branches, it's going to come up again. Deal with the heart. Recently, I cut out some pieces of, um, of poison ivy that was coming through my, my fence because I didn't want the kids to get hold of it and I was pulling it down and cutting out pieces. And that was three weeks ago. And this week, yesterday actually, Quite, of it, quite a lot of it had come back. Why? Because I did not deal with the root. I just dealt with the branches. It's back again, showing its ugly head. And so when we don't deal with things from the heart, from the bottom, from the roots, we are wasting our time, really. We are like a madman who does the same thing every time, expecting a different result. And I want to encourage us as a church, as we pray, as we walk amongst the people here, that the whole thing is, sometimes, sometimes we just need to keep, shut this in public and open this in private with God and ask God to deal with the hearts of people and change the hearts of people. Then we are able to speak and our speaking would have an impact. We can speak all we want, we can demonstrate all we want, but without the change of heart, it is a useless effort. And I want to ask us, it's good that we do all those things, it's good that we speak out, it's good that we do that, but the most important thing, let us not forget, it is the heart. The heart of man, when it's changed, things change around us. And then Paul goes on, and he says to him, if then you count, if you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. When I read this, it reminds me of the idea of Christ coming in as substitute. The songs that we sang today, Christ is a substitute, came in as a substitute for our sin. And when I read this, I see Paul coming in and saying, just like Christ comes in and says, yes, I know they have sinned, but here is my blood. Before the Father. I died for them. And Paul, in a way, pictures that when he comes and he's showing grace to a point of even laying down his own 
for Onesimus. He says, if there is anything that he has done, put it in my account. I will repay. And for us as believers, we need to understand and realize too and rejoice in the fact that our debt has been paid. When we sing today and saying, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed me white as snow. That's a place of joy for us because we realize that he stood in the place for us. When we were supposed to die, he took that place for us. And we see here Paul giving himself for the sake of Onesimus. He pleads the case for Onesimus as Christ pleads the case for us in the throne room. Martin Luther said this. Here we see Paul lays himself out for poor Onesimus. And with all his means, he pleads his case with his master. And so sets himself as if, as if he were Onesimus. And had himself gone wrong, uh, had done wrong as he himself had done wrong to Philemon. Even as Christ did for us with God the Father, thus Paul also does for Onesimus with Philemon. We are all his Onesimi to my thinking. All of us are Onesimuses to God. We had walked away and Jesus came like Paul and bleeds our case. With his blood, not just with paid put into my account, but with his blood that speaks better promises. With his precious blood. And then he goes on, he says, let me have joy in you in the Lord. And the funny word is that that word joy is the same word that is used as prophet. It's the same word that would be used in Onesimus. It says, let me have joy. Refresh my heart like you refresh others. And then he goes on and he says, having confidence, I wrote to you, knowing that you will do more than what I say. It's in verse 21. He says, I have confidence I have confidence that you will do more than what I ask you to do. Good people are always ready for doing good works. And they don't do it narrowly just a little bit. They do it abundantly. Are we those who pinch, pinchly do our good works or doing it barely the minimum? Or are we those who do it with freedom and can be trusted to do it with abundance. And then he closes his letter by saying, all those friends and fellow prisoners greet you, and he speaks about him uh, being asking for prayer and being able to come and visit. But I want to pull us back quickly to finish this up. I want to pull us back to um, verse 8 through 11. In verse 8 through 11, it says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command 
you what is fitting. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. But being such as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have forgotten while in chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. That word that he uses there, the word edged, is the word that uh, we've used before as, as when he says the elder. But also that word is the word that means the same thing as ambassador. And I want to just close us at, close at that point, realizing that Paul, here the word that he uses there is the Greek word that is, trans, is translated as well as ambassador. And he says to him, then for me, a Paul is an ambassador. And an ambassador stands in the place of a country where he comes from. Am I right? When you go to an embassy, when I would be in South Africa and would go to the American embassy with my wife, she would say, I'm in home soil and I'll be in foreign soil. Until now that I'm American too, so I can say I'm in home soil too. But she would say, this is home. And for me, it's stepping, even though it's in Johannesburg, South Africa, the consulate where we would go to, when I'm stepping into that consulate, I'm stepping into American soil. The rules have changed. The representative of what America is, is here in Johannesburg at that time, and I am in it. And so, when you speak of an ambassador, um, embassy, you think of as well, you see the flags and the banners in the American embassy, there is no South African flags in South Africa. Or if you go up, up here in, uh, um, in D.C. to the South African embassy, there is no American flags there. Or you go to any other country's embassy, you don't find the country that, that is hosting them's flags. You find the flags and the models of the country that they represent. And he says, I am an ambassador. And I want to remind us, too, that we are ambassadors of Christ. And as ambassadors of Christ, the way that we live, our conduct, our hearts, the way that we do things should represent heaven. We are here on earth just as passerbys. We are here on earth as a post for heaven. And I want, to, I want to challenge us, me and you. Are we at a place where people see us and know that we are ambassadors of heaven? Do people see that we are ambassadors of heaven with our conduct, with our words, with our social media? I'll say that louder. With our social media. We are ambassadors of heaven. Our way of doing things, our conduct, our motto is different from that of this world. And I want to encourage us that as ambassadors, we leave behind what is of here. We need to represent who we are called to represent. Speaking of ambassador, maybe you say, where did you get this from? I think when Paul was writing this, maybe he was thinking about 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. And I'm going to read this to you guys. He says, therefore, from now on, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one else according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. 
Yet now we know him that's no longer. So he's saying to that first verse, he is talking about that we don't regard, because we are ambassadors, things have changed. We don't regard people the same way that the world would have regarded them. Philip is, uh, Philemon is being asked not to regard Onesimus as a slave the same way, the same class, the same caste that the society gives him. But he is called to see things differently. Paul says we do not regard people the same way as to the flesh, as to the world. How do you regard people around you? Do you regard them by the casts that we have, the society sets around us? How do we regard people? Paul says that we regard them differently because we know Christ. And then verse 17, he goes, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed, and everything has become new. All things have passed. Even the way that we see people has passed, and everything has become new. Has everything become new for you in the way you see people? I know we say this usually, and we say it for us as believers, and yes, it's true for us as believers. All things have passed. Our sins, things that are personal, my sins and whatever have passed, and behold, there is a new. But also behold, there is a new in the way I see my brother, the way I see my sister. Behold, there is a new way when we are in Christ. And I'm going to read on. Then he says, now that all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What ministry have we been given? Ministry of reconciliation. We have been given that ministry. Behold, all things are new. We don't see people the same way, and we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And then he goes on, and he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who you know sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. We are ambassadors. John Kevin said that the gospel is the embassy of reconciliation. The gospel is the embassy of reconciliation. As ambassadors, who are we representing? Our view of people changes when we are working on reconciliation. When we are looking at them through the eyes of reconciliation with God and with one another, our view of people changes. So many other things change, but this as well changes. And I'm sticking on this because we are speaking about this relationship of these two people. That has to change. It has to change because they are ambassadors of Christ. And amongst us here, as a family here at Broadway, are there places where we need to find reconciliation with one another? I'm sure they are. And how can that reconciliation be found is realizing 
that we are different when we are in Christ. Things are different. Things have changed. Behold, all things have become new. Onesimus, when he came in, all things had become new. For Philemon, too, who was sitting there, receiving his slave coming back, all things have become new. And so his view has become different. Is your view different? Is my view different? Has surely been all things, has all, not some things, not the things that we like to be new, but all things have all things become new. Our mindset, our view of God's people, especially, because that's what we're talking about with Philemon. Our view of God's people, has it become new? Or is it the same old? Me, myself, and I. Others can go jump in the bridge. It's still there amongst Christians. And we are called to this ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of heaven. And I want to challenge me and you as we go today. Let's go and be ambassadors of heaven.